Welcome to Walking It Out, living the Bible in everyday real life. So hey there, I'm Pastor Brad. I want to talk to you about a post on this first episode that I made on Twitter weeks ago. And it was simple, it was small, it was very succinct, but I think it summed up how I feel lately, how I usually feel sometimes around uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, sometimes throughout the year. It was very short. A simple phrase that I posted on Twitter that just said, I want to go home. And people might have been really confused by that. You know, I'm sure most people thought I was talking about Louisiana because I'm a Louisiana boy who I always say is stuck in the Washington, D.C. area. And there are times throughout the year where I really do miss those things from Louisiana that I'm familiar with. I miss Louisiana people and friends and family and the culture. There are so many days where... I'm eating white beans here that I really miss Rabideau sausage that you can only get in Iway, Louisiana because it is the best sausage ever. There are days where I miss beignets from Cafe Du Monde. I miss the place. I miss the weather. There are a lot of days, especially during this time of the year, where I really miss Louisiana weather. But you know what? The truth is all of those things that I love about Louisiana are just bound up really tightly together with the, just the emotional strings of my heart because... Uh, what I long for uh, is those things that are familiar, those things that are associated with home. And you know what? There are times where those, those aches for home are tougher, and especially tougher in those lonelier seasons. And here's the truth. I share all this to say because there are times of the year where we get just homesick. You've been there before. You know, probably not, maybe not for Louisiana, but for something, for someone, for somewhere, you've been homesick. And I, I think about that phrase on Twitter, and it reminds me of the time in my life when I think I felt the most homesick that I've ever felt. It was 1997. I was finishing up high school in a little town called Ragley, Louisiana. And let me just tell you something for those people who are not from Ragley, Louisiana. You might be wondering, where is that? It's a good question because there is, <laughs> there's literally nothing in Ragley. I mean, it's a nowhere town in the middle of nowhere. It's not even on the map. People used to ask me, where is Ragley? And I would tell them, well, just look for where Highway 171 and 190 meet, and that's Ragley. And you know what? There's nothing in Ragley that the world would really want. There's no restaurants, no businesses. There's no entertainment. There's no gas stations or even traffic lights. It's just rice fields and pine trees. But to me, I loved it. I loved it because... Everything that I loved was there in Ragley. My friends, my mom, my dad. I much prefer pine trees to concrete. I much prefer quietness to busyness. I prefer slower pace of life compared to the faster pace of life. But I remember in 1997, packing up everything that I owned, and it felt like at the time I was moving to just this mega metropolis of not New York City, but Baton Rouge. That's how I felt at the time. Not that that's a massive city, but I moved to LSU's campus where I was surrounded by some 40,000 other young people and people that I didn't know. I didn't know where to go. It felt strange. It felt unfamiliar. It was daunting. The truth is, I just felt like I didn't belong. And so I, sent my, I spent my whole first month, almost my whole first year, deeply homesick, deeply longing for home and for those things that were familiar and for those things that I loved, deeply longing to be back with my family. So much so that literally that whole first year, I would go home and make the three-hour ride home every single weekend. And that's what's on my mind uh, for this first episode in this first podcast. I would think about that trip home. I mean, I would prepare for that trip home 
uh, Monday through Thursday. I would get busy with class to distract my mind, but the truth is I was getting ready. I was working for Fridays. And so I knew when I would have my last class on Friday, I would have already packed so I didn't have to go home. I would leave right out of class and make the trip home. And you know the truth is that the trip home was two and a half, three hours. Not that long, but it seemed like a brutally long trip. I can tell me how many speeding tickets I got because while my head told me, don't speed, you don't have the money to pay this, my heart was telling my foot to mash that gas pedal down faster so I could get home. And, and I would begin in Baton Rouge and I would make it to Lafayette and I begin to count the miles on the signs, which made it even worse. Brutally long stretch of a trip across the Atchafalaya Basin Bridge, and I knew I was getting close when I hit Welch, and then Iowa, and then Lake Charles, and Moss Bluff, and finally make it to Ragley. And, and then came my favorite part of the trip. You know, it wasn't really all the towns or the bridge or the scenery. My, the favorite part of my whole trip was my driveway. And that may seem weird, and, and I'll be honest with you, my driveway on a 70-acre plot of land was really long. It was more like a dirt road, but it was the best part. I knew when I was on that driveway that I was virtually home. I mean, I could see the lights on inside the house. I could see the cars of those people that were there that I was going to see in a little bit. So I'd get out of my car, even without grabbing my bags, I could, I could start to smell my mama's cooking. I'd walk across the porch and I could hear them laughing. I could see through the window into the living room to everything and everyone that I loved. And I would open the door. Ah. <sighs> I was home. You know what? No matter where God has taken me on this earth, Baton Rouge, Houston, South Florida, Washington, I'll always feel like a Louisiana boy in some sense. Louisiana will always feel like home. And here's the reason why I share this with you today is because I believe that this is how we ought to feel here on earth all the time as followers of Christ. I think there ought to be this progressing and growing spiritual affection or homesickness for our heavenly home. I think more and more we have to feel this as we get closer to seeing Jesus. And I actually think not only should we feel this way, but I think this growing affection or homesickness or homelessness that we feel here would actually help us while we make this earthly journey. I think about John 17, Jesus prays an interesting prayer, or at least it should be interesting to us because it's a prayer that is not only about you, but more interestingly, it's a prayer that is for you specifically. Jesus, in this prayer, he begins by praying for those disciples that he could look at in their faces right there at that time. And he reminds them and us, like all followers, that we're, we're not of this world, just as he was not of the world. He prays for our protection, protection from the evil one, that we'd be set apart for his work and the truth. Remind us that we, we were supposed to be sent out into the world, just as Jesus was sent into the world, that we have work to do. But interestingly, the part I love comes in verse 20 of John 17. Verse 20, Jesus says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word. That's you and me, brother and sister. I think Jesus saw our faces. And he says this in verse 24. I love it. He says, Father, here's what I'm praying for. Them. He says, I desire that they, you and me, also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
I love this prayer. Jesus says to the Father, here's what I desire. And here's what I desire for my followers. Here's what Jesus desires for you and I. Wherever you are right now, driving in your car, going to work, vacuuming the living room, running on the running machine. Can I tell you what we learn in John 17 about Jesus' desires for you? Enough that he would go to his Father. He prayed that one day his desire is that you would be with him in heaven and behold his glory. And you know what this This ought to not only be his desire, this ought to be our desire too. Our desire ought to be the desires of Jesus. Our desire here ought to be not that we would spend more time here. Our desire ought to be that we would be getting every day closer to being in his presence. This whole earthly life here is like that car trip home from Baton Rouge. A journey to get to our real home, our heavenly home, to be in the presence of our hope and in the presence of our treasure, which is Jesus. This whole life is like traveling through the wilderness, making our way to the promised land. I mean, we live here and we should live here with a desperate longing to be in the presence of Jesus and behold his glory. Truth is that one day we'll get there and we'll arrive and we'll open that door and he'll say, welcome home. I think about Pastor Kent Hughes. He worded it like this. He says, we will arrive at home. We've always longed for it. And we will find that we really have never wanted anything else. Christ's prayer here in John 17 asks literally that we will keep on beholding his glory. And this prayer, it's going to be answered. There will be a day where we constantly behold His face and we will become like Him. I think of 1 John 3, 2 that says this is going to happen. John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. This is a reality. Heaven is our home. And it's important that we spend our time here understanding this reality and teaching this reality to ourselves because here's the truth. Until we understand this and believe it, this life here, this journey here on earth will only ever be a disappointment. It will only ever be filled with discouragement. Unless we understand right now that heaven is our home and that our treasure is not here on earth, but it is Jesus. Unless we keep our hope fixed on Him, then this life will only ever be filled with anxiety and frustration. Our hope is Jesus. Our destination is to be with Him in His presence. So, while on this journey, we're supposed to do what the pastor of Hebrews encouraged us to do. Hebrews 12, 2, he says, Look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is our hope. We have been born again because of Jesus into this hope, like 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says. He, Jesus, has caused us to be what? Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He reminds us in verse 13 of that same chapter, Therefore, here's what we should do, because this is a reality. Because now we have a hope that is Jesus, and because we have an inheritance and a destination that's secure in Him for all of eternity, he says in verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded. And we should, what? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's our hope and nothing else. And the truth is, if we don't understand that reality, if we put our hope in anything else here, it's going to leave us disappointed and utterly discouraged. Because 
all other hopes here will fail us. If we wake up today and we make our hope not Jesus, we forget the glorious hope that we have in Christ Jesus, we forget the gospel. And let's say we put our hope in our bodies and making ourselves physically strong. Let me tell you something about your body and my body. They break down, they perish, and they're destroyed. Maybe we put our hope in our bank accounts and money today. Bank accounts run out. Money comes and goes. We lose our jobs. Maybe we put our hope in our family and our friends. Let me tell you something about your family and your friends and just human beings in general. They betray us all the time. They're flawed and sinful. Maybe we put our hope in time that we, we think we have infinite amounts of times or it feels like that. Look, time is short and runs out. Maybe we put our hope, I think, most often in ourselves. Let me tell you something about myself and yourself. We let ourselves down all the time. I think oftentimes we are our own worst enemies. You know, the truth is, I think about all that, and I think there is a natural response for us to recoil at the idea of feeling or being homesick. But honestly, I think it's what's best for us as believers. To live this life on earth as people who are homesick and homeless is best for us. I mean that, seriously. I remember when I was coming home that first year at college, my parents would give me what I thought was good advice. I think it is good advice. They would tell me, Brad, don't come home every weekend. Make friends there. Make Baton Rouge your home. Get comfortable. And you know what? I think that was good advice for college, but as far as our lives here on earth comprehensively, that doesn't work. The Word actually encourages us to not fit in to our temporary homes here. Why is that? We look at this and, and we're reminded all through Scripture why that's true. Number one, we realize that we are not like we used to be before Christ. We are new creations. We, we see this in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us the glorious news of the gospel that what we once were, people who were dead in our trespasses, following the, the ways of this world, slaves to sin, but because of the work of Christ, we are no longer that. We're new creations. We are a new humanity that doesn't belong here anymore. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, guess what he is? A new creation. The old and everything that comes with that has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And he said it also in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been what? Crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so, therefore, since we are, what, now a new thing, a new creation, we also have a new home. And our home is in heaven. It's no longer on earth. Paul made it clear to us. He said in Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship is where? It is in heaven. And it's from it that we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That pastor of Hebrews in Hebrews 13.14 says, For we have no lasting city. This here on this earth, everything will pass away. He says, but we seek a city that is to come. Ephesians 2.19 says, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of what? The household of God. 2 Corinthians 5.8, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and where? At home with the Lord. Home is, is in heaven. It's with Jesus, not on earth. And so therefore, we're not from here anymore. In Hebrews 11, this great chapter about this faith hall of fame of all those great cloud of witnesses that came before us in the faith, you know what the scripture says there in Hebrews 11 that they all acknowledged that they were what? Strangers and exiles on earth. It says in verse 14 of Hebrews 11, for these people who speak thus make it clear that they are speaking 
seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire, what, a better country that is a heavenly one. I love this. They desired these great heroes of the faith. They, they knew that this earth was a place where they were strangers and pilgrims passing through and that they desired a better country, one that was being prepared for them by God. 1 Peter 2 calls us sojourners and exiles. Even in this prayer in John 17 from Jesus in verse 14, he says this, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because what? We are not of the world. Let me tell you the truth today, friends, is that the more we can preach these truths and realities of the gospel, the better we will be. The more we can understand who we have been created to be in Christ and how we have been not only saved from our sin, but also into a new family with a new inheritance, with a new home, with new identities. Guess what? The more we can do that, the more homesick and the more homeless we will become. And that is a fantastic thing. It is a glorious thing. And you might ask again, Brad, how is that? How is that? What does that do for us here while we wait? I think it does lots of things. Let me just share a couple with you. Number one, it helps us not conform to this world that we don't belong anymore. It helps us put off the old self and put on the new. It helps us not become like the culture that we once were a part of. It'll help us fall, not fall into this trap. The truth is, we are always being trained in this world. We're either being transformed into the image of Christ or we're being transformed into the image of our culture and our world. And we know that we're not supposed to be doing that. I mean, Romans 12, 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that we can discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And according to Paul, here's how we do that. We, like verse 1 of Romans 12 says, we present our bodies as living sacrifices to God, that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit and growing up in the Word. I mean, think about what we learn in Ephesians. That we're not supposed to be doing what we used to be doing. We should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, we learn from Paul. Who, how do they walk? They walk in the futility of their minds. He says, but that's not how we learn Christ. He says, instead we should be, what? Renewed in the Spirit of our minds. And that comes as we grow up in the Word. Christ. And we grow in wisdom and truth. We grow up in the word like 1 Peter 2, 1 through, 3, uh, 1 through 3. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies, we should long for the pure milk of the word that we may grow in respect to salvation. Think of 2 Peter 3, 18, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, Savior. It, it, it will help us not conform. The more we preach the truth of the glorious gospel to ourselves and remind ourselves of who we are, it will make us long for home, which will also help us not long for this place and become like this place. Two, and I think this is most important, it will help us deal with all of the suffering that we face here in this life. It will help us deal with the discouragement, disappointment, and anxiety, anxiety and the setbacks that we have here. I love it. Author John Bloom says this. He says, as a Christian, your sense of homelessness and homesickness is normal. If you've been fighting it, stop. Embracing your homelessness as a disciple is to embrace freedom. If you don't burden your worldly experiences with the expectations of making them your home, their disappointments won't be so heavy. And you'll be able to lay aside the weight of cynicism. It's actually fantastic news to be a stranger and a foreigner here on earth. 
it reminds us that this life and all of its troubles are what? Just temporary. I love it. Peter reminds us that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I love this. He tells us in 1 Peter 6-7, through in this, even though we go through all these struggles and trials, he says this, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says what we already know and what we shouldn't be surprised by. This life is filled with hardship. It's hard. And there is a weird part of that verse we just read from Peter. He says this, we ought to rejoice in the midst of that suffering. We ought to take joy even in this life, not with what's going on. We're not sickos. We shouldn't take joy in in bad things happening to us or the pain that's inflicted us. No, but we are taking joy that even though we're going through this, this world's not our hope. It's not the end. We keep our eyes fixed on the hope that's set before us in Christ Jesus. We're not surprised when we have trials. We're not surprised when these trials grieve us like 1 Peter 1 says. We're not surprised when they come with all kind of various kinds of trials. We know that 2 Corinthians 4 says our bodies are wasting away. We know that. We know there's persecution. We know this life is filled with struggling with our sin and temptation and our sinful nature. We know that, like 1 Peter 5 says, that we have an enemy who is prowling around and wanting to destroy us and attack us. When we understand the gospel, we understand that this world's not our home and that trial and suffering is temporary compared to eternity. I mean, James 4 or 14 says this life, what is it? It's a mist. We know just like 1 Peter says, the interesting thing there, it says that this, these trials of various kinds, guess what? They only last for what? A little while. All of this life, even if you live to 100 years old, it's just a little while. Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 4 that all of this stuff that's happening to us, our bodies wasting away and the suffering and afflictions we have, he says, guess what? They are light and momentary. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us, what, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we do what? We look to the things that are unseen. Because the things here that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And we know not only is it temporary, but it's even this suffering here, God's using it to produce things in us that are good. Our suffering we ought to rejoice in. Why? Because you know what? He's using it. Sometimes he's using it to discipline us. We see that. In Psalm 119, 65 through 67, the psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. We read Hebrews 12 where he says he disciplines us because we're children. We're not illegitimate children. He he uses it to produce spiritual growth. We see that in Romans 5, 1 through 5. Look at verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because we know God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who He's given us. It produces humility. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 that, I, you know what, I, I struggle. God has seen fit to make sure that there are things that keep me humble. I've been harassed. But I've been harassed and God has allowed it to keep me from becoming conceited. 
Even though I prayed for God to take it away, I realized this. If I boast in anything, I'm going to boast in my weakness because God's power is displayed perfectly in my weakness. We understand something. All of this life is a refining fire. So even though it's short, that's one of the glorious things about realizing that we have an eternity ahead of us that's home. It reminds us of how short this life is. But even the things that happen in this life, we have a glorious hope where God is controlling all of this. Not to damage us. He doesn't put us in this refiner's fire to damage us. No. He, he puts us in this because we're valuable and because we're precious. To make it better. To make us better. To, to burn away all of the other dross and sin in our life. All of this lifetime, all of this lifetime is a short while. And so how we ought to, to live it is we ought to live a life that we love Jesus and, and we grow in His Word. We ought to trust Jesus. We ought to grow in His Word. We ought to spend this life finding our joy in Jesus, not in our circumstances. Think about 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 that tells us, you know, it's God's will for our life that we would be joyful always. We would give thanks Always. We would pray. Always. You know what that tells me is that those things have nothing to do with our feelings. They have nothing to do with our circumstances. They have to do with finding our joy in Christ Jesus. Friends, let me tell you something today. Don't worry. Wherever you are today, home is up ahead. Preach the gospel to yourself today. Preach the gospel and the truth of God's word to yourself today until your heart longs and sings for the hope that is to come to us, that longs to be home. We're close. We're on that long driveway. We keep our eyes fixed on our hope, Jesus, knowing that He has already gone ahead of us to prepare a home for you and me. Friends, I hope you have an awesome day. Tune in again as we are encouraging God's Word and we walk it out in everyday real life. See you soon. Bye.